Today is our last segment on the series that I've called Homemade. And t- the title for today is Getting the Glory Where We Need It Most. And you'll remember our text for the series has been Isaiah chapter 4, verse 5. And it says this, And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place. Everybody say, every dwelling place. Now say, that's where I live. It's my, my home address. The Lord, this is, the prophet says, this is what God's heart is. Upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and up on her assemblies. Say, up on her assemblies. Now say, that's my church. It's when we get together. A cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense. We have said from this text that God wants his glory when his people get together. What's his glory? It's the weight of his presence. What's that? It's evidence that he's real. What's better evidence than lives being transformed, people changing, miracles, things that are undeniable? God says, When my people get together, I want my glory to be upon them. That's in his heart. If his glory doesn't come, eventually we get tired of gathering. Nothing of consequence happens. But he also says, first, I want my glory to be on your dwelling place, where you live. And it's not so great if we have his glory here, but we don't have it at home. We spent the first two weeks talking about the commitment, God's desire, and our commitment to do whatever we have to do to get God's glory, the evidence that when we get together, that this church, our church family, is marked by His glory, evidence that He's real. And then last week, Mark picked up from where I talked the week before where we talked about generational consequences, that there's things we've inherited There's things that we saw our dad do that we swore we'd never do. And we grow up and we open our mouth and the exact same things come out. Same habits, same temptations. Generational consequences are real. And as we talk about getting getting God's glory where we live, our addresses, we realize first we had to deal with and we have to deal with generational consequences that keep God's glory from being able to reside where we live. And so now that we've acknowledged that, there's some real basic stuff that I want to talk to you about today to get God's glory where you live, your kitchen table, your living room, and those relationships that matter most. Sometimes I don't like being a pastor. And if you were one, there'd be times you didn't like it either. You know why I don't like it? Because it's uncanny, and you wouldn't, you may not even believe this, how real it is. Whatever you're preaching that week will be tested, tempted, tried. And when you're preaching on family, what does the enemy do? Y'all know what he does. He makes it difficult. There's things. There's Christmas. 
There's events. There's baby dedications. There's Bibles to order. There's, there's food to prepare. And the enemy comes, and there's children involved. And sometimes I don't like being a pastor, but I have learned. Sometimes if I, like you, can drag myself here, and if they'll just quit all the pleasantries and start the worship music, I'll get better. Anybody else realize that? Come on, y'all. Anybody out there with me this morning? And that thing happens. The Bible let me, let, me, let me also say this. We had announced that we were going to be doing another installment of our Christmas at the movies. And um, we were going to be teaching. I was going to be teaching from a movie that I have fallen in love with. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers story. And you may go, Mr. Rogers, if you haven't seen it, trust me. You need to go see it. Um, but, but first, watch the 2018 version the documentary that they did with Mr. Rogers, his wife, his children, and the people that actually, it's a true documentary. The documentary was so powerful, and if you saw it, you, you may feel like Columbia Pictures did, and they said, Tom Hanks, we've got to do a story, a movie with Mr. Rogers' life. And listen, please go see it after you see the documentary. It's in the theaters now. It actually is generational consequence. The last two weeks, the sermon that I preached and then Pastor Mark preached, it's, it's that sermon. Please go see it. Um, we're not doing it this morning. Even though I did order my Ked sneakers, I have my zip-up red sweater, my tie at home, and I was uh, Jason Honeycutt found the soundtrack for me to come out to. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Beautiful day in the neighborhood. Would you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just. Y'all, we'll do it sometime in January. I can see you can't wait. So I apologize. But this is the material that I wanted to present. It, I pro, it's profound. And I know some of y'all go, Pastor Chuck, you have to carry your man card usually when you go see a movie. I do. I don't like gory, rated R junk. I don't like battles. I like love and Jesus and family. And I do have a man card somewhere. Candace is carrying it for me. <laughs> the Bible starts with a family and it ends with a family. It starts in the garden, a wedding. It ends in Revelation 22, 21, and it's um, about God's wedding where he's, he's prepared us, the bride, for Christ, his groom. And throughout, the scriptures teach us how to live in family, community, and about raising the next generation to not just know the Lord, but to, to not just know about him, but to walk with him. Um, as I was preparing this week, I was thinking back, 20, at 23 years old, I became the youth pastor in this church. A lot, of stuff, a lot of water's gone under the bridge since then. I was a youth pastor for four or five months, and it dawned on me that one of the challenges in shaping kids spiritually was the way they were being raised. There might be one or two of you who were here in May of 1990. I had the bright idea of putting on a five-week seminar called um, Parenting 101, and Cindy partnered with me. And, and I, 
at 23 years old, single, no children, I put on a parenting seminar. But I did it because, honestly, it had become apparent and obvious to me that, that I can't just pastor these kids and, and we get them where they need to be. We, we've got to touch families, and parents are going to have to get involved and, and understand what's happening in the culture. And oddly enough, it, it blew me away that the number of people who attended and people talked about it. And I thought about that this past week and in, in preparing for this and how critical it is that we as moms and dads, we as a church family, that we all work together as a family to raise the next generation and to really be a place where God's glory can abide. In order to see God's desire of establishing his glory upon our dwelling place, our address, where we live, our family, we've got to understand a few things. And the first one is this, three simple points. And this is very simple and basic. Some of this is stuff you've heard me teach through the years. Number one, we must make our family's spiritual well-being priority. When I first typed that out, I had, we must make our, our family's spiritual well-being a priority. No, I took out A. We've got to make it priority. Our family's spiritual well-being must be important, top of the list, the thing that we aim for more than anything else, more than our children's educational achievements, athletic notoriety, our own ability to teach them to value a dollar more than anything else. We've got to invest in them spiritually. The Jewish tradition, the word Shema, it's the most important prayer. It affirms it's the most important prayer in the Jewish tradition, Shema, and it, it affirms that there is only one God and that he is personal and that he demands, he demands love from every aspect of our being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see Moses, he calls out seven times in this second sermon in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy has three sermons, and this one starts in chapter 5 and goes all the way to chapter 26. Seven times Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he commands us to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Moses preaches Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look what it says in verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey. Everybody look here a second. You know the story here in the Pentateuch, the first five books. What comes after Deuteronomy? Jo uh, Joshua. This is nearing the end of Moses' life. He's realizing he's not going to get to go into the place of promise. And he tells them, listen, you're going in, but when you go in, there's some things you've got to hear and you've got to understand. And he says, these are commands, decrees, laws that the Lord your God is giving to me to give to you. Let me ask you, mom and dad, 
What is the top priority for your family? What matters most? Academic achievements? Athletic significance? Is it the stuff I just mentioned? Is it your children's whatever? Is it their status, your status, the way that they live their life that brings you a feeling of significance? What is it? Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 22, hearing that he had silenced the Sadducees when they were trying to trick him with, hey, what's the greatest commandment? They wanted him to rate them. So if he rated one, then he would be, putting, he'd be dissing on the others. And he silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees said, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one, he said, is like it. You know this. In other words, that you can't do the second one effectively until you do the first one effectively. And the implications of that are, are just innumerable. But first, it, as it relates to this sermon, and I'm the one preaching it, and so let me make that work for this sermon. It is this. If I don't love the Lord with all my heart, my soul, my strength, I'm going to have a hard time helping my children. The second is like it for me to love them like I love myself. And part of me truly loving them is to help them love the Lord. What does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? What does that look like? You know what it looks like. It looks like this. It really does. Google sad, not right now, sad Alabama fans. And look at the pictures that come up. Google sad Jordan. No, don't do that. It's too close. That's what it looks like. What do we do about sports? I've raised a few athletes. I've, I'm still fairly athletic. I love sports. I love competition. And there are people that we're in four fantasy leagues. We know one through ten who's leading the NFL in rushing yards. We know who is the most prolific pastor, and we know how close Drew Brees is to Tom, and we know and we understand our high school. And we, I was at a high school game on Friday night. Luke's football team was in the semifinals. And I got there, and Bill and Deidre Plunk came and sat in front of us. And it was, we win, we get to go down to the Georgia State Stadium and play. And, and I, 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 first of all, it's their second week there, and I told them, listen, what, I, what Pastor Chuck says and does on Friday night at a football game cannot be held against me in a court of church on Sunday morning. <laughs> and I behaved myself. But this is the truth. I'm nervous. I can't work on Friday. It's my son's game. The first play of the line of scrimmage on our possession, the quarterback threw a, an interception. And my emotions, I, I was shaking. Going, I'm, I'm halfway through the first quarter. We're down 14 to nothing. And I'm going, get a hold of yourself. This is what this feels like. 
to love something so passionately. God spoke to me through it. I mean, you know me. I'm passionate. If I'm there, if we're playing checkers, I hope I win and you lose and it's not close and it doesn't take long. I love you. I'll be your pastor. Shepherd your heart. Care for your family. Pray prayers. Preach under the anointing. I'll do all that. But if we're competing, that's how, that's how I'm wired. And you're probably like that too because you live this side of 285. But what am I saying? I am saying this. We have specialized in so many things. There are a million distractions. There's busyness. There's financial opportunities. There's the neighbors and keeping up with the Joneses. And there's soccer on Sunday mornings that Pastor Chuck drives through. Today, it's December. It's the Sabbath day. It's 10 after 10 in the morning. And the soccer complex is filled up. Don't think this is so basic and we can check it off and move on. And many of you have already raised your children. You're helping raise grandchildren. You're part of this church. It has a, a generational focus to, to reach the next generation. And I'm calling you like Moses did. Here, O Restoration Church, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. May you serve him and love him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength we must make our children their faith and our grandchildren's faith a top priority can I get a witness are y'all out there um was at a funeral on Friday of family that we've known for years we had the privilege of pastoring them for about 10 years and the lady she turned 50 years old in, in August, and she passed from cancer. Two children, um, athletes in college, and we got the text Thursday morning, Thanksgiving morning, that she had passed. And she was African-American from Bessemer, Alabama. And I was at the funeral on Friday, and it was predominantly African-American people. And I felt... I got in the car and I told Candace, you know, there's something about black folks. They, they, and it's the plight, and I don't want to, y'all know, when they feel something, they feel it together. They experience it together. And to not have seen this couple for a number of years and to be there with people that we love and many of them we know and, and to feel that and to see her 85-year-old mother come up to me who I hadn't seen in at least five years. And without anybody having to reintroduce me, she called me pastor. Thank you for being here. And I said, you're going to take Bernadette's body back to Alabama to bury her, right? I said, you're taking her back home. And she got teary-eyed, but it was not a, we're sad. She, she said to me, yeah. Our pastor who, who, who dedicated Bernadette, who baptized her, who married her in Clarence, is going to bury her. She said to me, I said, in light of what I knew I was going to be preaching, I said, y'all have roots in Alabama, don't you? She said, yes, we do. We, 
That's all we've ever known. She said, my parents taught me that if we don't go to church on Sunday, don't even ask about going anywhere else the rest of the week. She said, don't even think about it. Y'all know what I'm saying? I looked at Candace and I said, what a day. What a heritage. This is why Bernadette could be counted on. This is why Bernadette knew who she was. Educated, sophisticated, who raised two great children, who had a wonderful marriage. You know why? Because their family had been raised for generations their same pastor is in his 90s. Why he would still want to be doing this, I have no idea. But he must have some good people in his church who love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Something happens when you make God the number one priority in your life, in your marriage, in your family. You know what happens? You reap the benefits of walking close with a God who loves you. Brothers and sisters, my spiritual family, I call on you as someone who loves you, someone who knows what the culture is doing to us. I call on you to revisit some of your priorities. Yes, it's old school. I grew up in the mountains of Virginia, but I've been in North Atlanta since 1989. I know what's going on. I'm educated. I'm not stuck in the hills of West Virginia. I grew up in Virginia. There's a big difference. I know what's happening. I'm raising children still and dedicating grandchildren. And I'll tell you what, I do not... Regret making Jesus number one and having to sometimes fight my own children knowing you may not understand it now, but one day you may stand at my funeral and say, the one thing we did, we got to church on time. If we didn't get to church on time on Sunday morning, next Saturday night, what did the Ramsey boys do? Dad made them stay in. Because we make him number one, and I make no apology. I know it's old school, but he might know what I'm talking about and know it's true. You make him number one, you'll reap the rewards, the blessings of the Lord. I'm going to pause, just let y'all say amen. I went to Bessemer, Alabama in my mind. I'm still, still trying to get back. Help me. I know I need to get out of Alabama. Everybody does. The best thing coming out of Alabama is I-20. Secondly... We must understand keeping this priority will require a strong commitment. Deuteronomy 6, in that same passage, says in verse 10, 11, and 12, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, a land with large, flourishing cities, you did not build houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Verse 14 says, do not follow other gods. The next chapter, verse seven, verse, uh, chapter 7 and verse 2 says, make no treaty with those people. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters 
for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Verse 5 says, break down their Asherah poles and burn their idols in the fire. Asherah poles. Asherah poles were a goddess of, they were in honor of Asherah, a goddess of fertility. We don't know all of the ritualistic, the paganistic practices, but we know that they thought she could bring abundant crops, and so they worshipped around the Asherah poles. And Moses says, this is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars. It's violence. It's sincerity. It's going to require some courage, some passion. Break down their altars. Smash their sacred stones. Cut their Asherah poles and burn their idols in the fire. Get rid of them completely, Moses is saying. However, it did not take long for the Israelites to disobey this command. Judges chapter 3 says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Instead of obeying God's commands, they worshipped the gods of the people around them. Later, God would use Gideon as one of the judges who would stand against the practice of the Asherah pole. He cut down his father's Asherah pole as part of God's call for reform in Judges chapter 6, verses 25 through 7. Many of the revivals, if you read Kings and Chronicles, many of the revivals, listen, involved destroying and removing Asherah poles from among the people. In one case, King Josiah of Judah had an Asherah pole ground to powder and spread it over the graves of the dead. I think you get the picture. Don't compromise. It's Christmas. Pastor Chuck, can, I'm asking Pastor Chuck, can we just show up and have a good warm fuzzy for Pete's sake? Santa Claus is coming. We're talking about getting his glory. We're talking about houses and kitchens and living rooms and family connections that prepare kids for eternity. That, that where we raise up strong sons and daughters who know the Lord. And I'm like, yeah, we can have a warm fuzzy once. No, we can't. Not today. Your children are growing up, if they're in public school, in early elementary, the leading psychologists are influencing the National Education Association that children should not be forced to identify as male or female. They don't even know that we should not call them babies, baby girl. We should be getting rid of personal pronouns himself, herself, They're, and see at three years old what, they, what toys they like so that they can identify themselves. These are people with degrees leading and influencing our pagan culture, and they're saying this, that we shouldn't call them babies anymore. We should call them babies, T-H-E-Y-B-I-E-S. Google it. If I, I wish I could bury my head in the sand and not see all this stuff. I wish I didn't live in North Atlanta. I wish I was where I grew up, where I was born in Harrisonburg, Virginia, where 
There's Eastern Mennonite University. The Mennonites, the Quakers, the Amish people. You know, you see them, there's no running water. They're separatists. They're like, instead of dealing with all that, we're going to live in our own community. And I've, I've been in Pennsylvania. I was raised near Mennonite communities. And you go, no, no, I like running water. I like electricity. And I like makeup. Not on me, but on the people that, that I might be interested on, in. And you, you go, no, no, thank you. And Candace and I, many times in raising children, we looked at each other and go, you know what? Maybe they get it. Then when I used to travel and speak a lot, Mark, you may remember, we would go to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And that's like the beacon. That's like the Mecca of the Amish community. And we're literally at Wendy's, and here comes a horse and buggy. It's January. And we're like, whatever. And then we went to, a, I forget the name of somebody in here is going to know the name of the Amish buffet right outside of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Honest to Pete, the, the, the homemade buffet. Has anybody ever been to Amish country? Have you ever eaten at an Amish restaurant? I'm like, get rid of the bathrooms, get rid of the running water, the electricity. If they can do all that, all this, with nothing, maybe I should be a, a Quaker, an Amish, a separatist. No, that's not what I want to be. It's not what you, we, that's not an option for us. So, Pastor Chuck, what are you asking us to be? You know what? Fish don't realize they're wet. It's all they've ever known. You put a, pull a fish up out of water, what do they look like? Your child, when their battery goes dead on their smartphone, right? That's what they look like. Oh. Somebody give me a battery. Mom, can I, how much power do you have? 8%? Okay, great. Can I borrow your... That's what they look like. Fish don't realize they're wet. Listen to me. Most Christians don't realize they're wet. I'd like for somebody to just realize what's happening. I'm not saying go be an Amish, Quaker, Separatist, Mennonite. I'm saying this. Let's realize God must be the priority. Are y'all out there? I'm preaching to myself. It may be bouncing off that wall, but I'm taking notes. Listen, and I'm, I'm caught. Here's the other thing. Standing for that is not going to be easy, but it's the right thing to do. Can I get a witness? Oh, man, I feel the preach coming up all up in me on December, and it's 12 oh whatever. What is it? Y'all weren't supposed to know. You're supposed to say, Pastor Chuck, this is so good. We don't even realize what time it is. Um, I'm, it's interesting in Ephesians chapter 5 where it, it talks about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Um, wives submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. And, go, and this sermon isn't about me explaining that, but most people understand it. And it charges husbands to wash their wife in the word. And that's not to say, come here, Candace. 
Thus saith the Lord. You, you know, that's not to say, come here, Candace. Shh, let me wash her. You know, it's to for me to wash her and cleanse her in the word is for me to not do this. But may I live in such a way by the word that she's cleansed of fear and hurt and doubt and anxiety is to live and for her to go, I will gladly. Because what does the church do when it realizes how much Christ loves? The church gladly submits to him. And then it goes on in chapter 6 and says, as I said to Joey this morning, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't, don't drive them and manipulate and control them. Give them to me. Pray to me that I can move on their hearts. I'll be more effective at it than you will be. And he goes, And what does Paul say next? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle for you to stand in the gap for your family, to lead your family spiritually. Now it's a battle that we're going to need a helmet of salvation, a breastplate of righteousness, a shield of faith, a sword of the spirit, a belt of truth, which means integrity. The whole uniform is held together if I have integrity. If I walk not in integrity, my faith, my shield, my sword, my helmet, that belt holds the whole shoes of peace, praying in the Spirit on all occasions. We are equipped for this battle. And listen, we are, it's a battle that we are equipped to win. Oh, I wish somebody would say amen. It's a battle. Don't be over. Yeah, Pastor Chuck's intense. I got children. I'm raising them. I'm standing in the gap. I'm on my knees in prayer for this church. We've been looking for a youth, a new student pastor as Joey leaves and goes off to Army Chaplaincy School in, in, on January 8th. And, and we've looked at over 125 resumes. We've had four different couples come in and we've got two more to go, maybe three. And we haven't found the one yet. And we're not going to pull the trigger until we hear God say, that's the one. And we've prayed as a staff. It's just like we raise our children. And we've said this, that when your children go, how will I know when it's Mr. Right? And like you told your kids, we've told ours, you'll just know. How will you know? You just I can't explain it until it happens. And when it happens, you'll be able to explain it to your children. It just, you'll know. We've said, we're not going to hire the next student pastor until unanimously, in consensus, we as a staff go, we just know that's the one. And we are praying because we don't have $125,000 a year to pay them. We don't have 75 kids in the youth group. We've asked God to call someone to be the student pastor here. And I don't mean to reflect on the former, greater and the latter and all that stuff, but there was a day in this church where student ministry, children's ministry, in this room, 
the youth group had to meet in here because it was the only room big enough on the whole campus to handle the size of the youth group. Anybody remember those days? Anybody remember when we had to take five or six Greyhound buses to get them to their fall retreat? Just our church. And back then, remember, we had Cindy Honeycutt. Listen to me. This is not hyperbole. This is not exaggeration. There may be some other good children's pastors in the country. There may be one better than her, but I have never seen them. Cindy Honeycutt, at almost 60 years old, works seven days a week with a passion, with tears in her eyes. She loves children, and if I was a member of this church raising my children, I would feel like we won the children's pastor lottery, because we did. Y'all pray. Pray for me, because I just said her age almost, something like that. Pray for me. Daryl's the one who had a birthday yesterday, her husband, Daryl. And I'm, every, every time I come up here, I always feel like I need to tell them I'm talking to you all like I would one of my children. We raised athletes. I've coached high-level baseball, basketball. We've had a couple of high, college athletes in our own family. And I know the struggle of balancing things, but brothers and sisters, I want to... If you don't bring your children to church regularly, the faith you're going to need when they're 17 and strung out on crack, you won't have that kind of faith to pray for them then. I've watched it for 30 years. It's easier, as hard as it is, it's easier to raise a child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord than it is to repair a broken adult. Can I get a witness? So it's a battle, but we are equipped to win it. Amen? Hallelujah. Thirdly, I've got to close right here. We must understand the heart of Father God is really, really, really good. All right, everybody looking at me? We've read, I've intentionally left out some of the phrasing in this passage of Scripture. Now I want you to read it and look and listen to the heart of God. Deuteronomy 6, these are the commands, decrees, and laws of the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. Verse 2, so that you, your children, their children, after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey. Look, so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Verse 10, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you didn't even have to dig, vineyards, olive groves you didn't even have to plant. Then when you eat and be satisfied, be careful 
that you did not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 18, it says, so that it may go well with you. Verse 24, if we obey these commands, listen, we will always prosper and be kept alive. Look here. This whole book is about the beauty, the tenderness of the heart of Father God. And I know because many of us didn't have a father that represented him very well. We struggle with the father concept. That's why he sent his spirit. Romans 8 teaches in the Passion Translation, the mature, child, the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Look here. You know what these are? Second generation AirPods. They're amazing. Until my son showed me the third generation AirPods, and they're even more amazing-er. But these things are connected to that thing. It just, boom, I'm connected. I can get stereo on this thing. And I'm connected. Someone calls. She pulls up a YouTube video. Nobody else can hear. is saying it's God's plan that you would live in a mature level to where you hear what he's saying in stereo. Look what verse 15 says. You did not receive the spirit of religious duty. Can somebody say thank God? Come on, somebody say thank God. We're not here being Christian robots. It's a father-son. It's a daughter-father relationship leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never be feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood Real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Hallelujah. Do you know, my beloved friends, do you know how awesome, how trustworthy God's heart is for you? No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly before him. Candace and I, this week, she does all the, most of the, no, she does all of the Christmas shopping. Except for me, I buy, I'm glad to go out and buy my stuff. But through, through the years, we've been like, Christmas is such a production. And she's like, thank God for Amazon and UPS and FedEx and United States Postal Service. And they're bringing stuff. And she's like, I just, it's a lot. It's a lot. Because you want to give them what they want. And it's work to find out what they want, where you can get it. And, and I said, you know what? I can't wait to they get to that age and we just give them money. Just give them all money. We love you. Here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. And then we'll know everybody got the exact same amount. And she looked at me like, 
as hard as it is. She wants to give them what they want. God. He doesn't say, forgiven, 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 forgiven. He goes, hear, O Restoration Church, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love me with all your heart and soul, mind and strength. It will be worth it. I will bless you. I will overwhelm you with my blessings. I'm going to close. Some of y'all are going to ask me, and I'll, I'll send it to you. But the next session, uh, I'm going to close with the habits of highly effective spiritual families. And maybe I'll teach that at, a, at another point, but I'll email it to you if, you if you'd like it. But I'm closing with this right here. I'm torn, as you, you can feel, but I'm encouraged because we're a family. This church, what God's doing here. You know, I, the Corinthians, Paul said to them, everybody look, we're closing right here. Paul said, y'all have 10,000 teachers, but you have not many fathers. Everybody's, everybody's looking for more followers on their Instagram page. Everybody needs Everybody loves all the likes on their Facebook posts. But nobody's wanting to get down and dirty and help father people in the Lord. Not at this church. I walked in today and Felix Mendez caught me. And he goes, have you heard? And he told me about a person related in their people group that he's been walking through this whole year. I don't know how many times he's been down to Emory and different hospitals praying. Not for the person in their in his small group, but the person's child in his small group. And he led her in a prayer of rededicating her life to Christ one night this week. And that'd be one thing if that was the first time Felix had reported to me this, this week of all the things happening in his people group. The list goes on and on and on. And he's not the only one. And there's others we're caring for and family we're, we're raising up sons and daughters who understand we don't have a religious duty. We get to be daughters and sons to a perfect father, our Father God. Amen? I hadn't thought of this in months, maybe years. It was during one of the worship songs when you guys were singing. You remember in Roots? I, I can barely tell it. I was in fourth grade when this first came out. And this happened not far from where I grew up. They had Kunta Kente. And that was his African name. And the slave owners had him and they were, they'd given him a new name. And they kept asking him, what is your name? And he would say, my name is Kunta Kente. I forget. Anybody remember? It seems like, anybody remember the name? I can't remember the name Toby, that's it. He said, no, your name is Toby. And they would take and beat him. And all the children, the families, they made, those slave owners made them watch it. They would beat him. And a few minutes later, they would say, what is your name? And he would take enough breath and say, my name is Kunta Kinte. And they beat him and beat him and beat him. And he never said, my name is Toby. Why? Because he knew who he was. 
It may not be popular, but you're not going to brainwash him because if he loses his name, he loses his identity, his significance, and it will affect future generations. I thought of that, and I, I began immediately to weep. And I know, I know the traditional American, I could stand up, we could become a cute little seeker, friendly, happy, live in the suburbs, two children, two cars, gated, on our way, college, all that stuff. But I say no. We realize we're wet. And the culture is impacting us. But we will never be Toby. Who are we? Who am I? I'm not what the culture is trying to squeeze me into being. I will not let my children, as long as it depends on me, we will not be blended in, compromised into the culture. Who are we? We are the people of the Most High God. That's who we are. And He is Abba, Father. His Spirit in me gives me a high definition, surround sound when I need it. And I, see, I hear Him say, my beloved Son. And the Spirit in me cries out, Abba, Father. How about you? I'm going to ask you this morning. We're going to stand, but I want you to keep your seat unless you're saying, we're with you, Pastor Chuck. Brothers and sisters, I'm on a revolution. We, I, we're not trying to fill this place up with people. We, could, we would do it differently if we were. I'm calling you to be radicals, to realize you're wet, to get out of the water, realize that we're marching to the beat of a different drummer. And you may go, well, my children are grown. Help us. Pray for us. Pray for our children's ministry. Pray that our student ministry will once again be full of children who are middle schoolers and high schoolers who are unashamed. They weren't Jesus weirdos, freaks. You know how awesome it was in the 90s when parents from Roswell High School who didn't even come to this church called because they had heard where to get next exit t-shirts. Next exit was the name of the youth group. I'm calling us to, to be radicals, revolutionaries that we stand up. The next generation, not only are we going after them, they're gods. We're going to get them. Are y'all out there with me? Listen, if you, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. If, don't do it yet. If you can say, I'm, I'm with you, Pastor Chuck. I'm committed. I thank God. I'm looking at you, Judah, and Evie. And I, I, that book, Mama Bear Apologetics, it's your fault that I'm preaching this because y'all gave me that book, Mama Bear. You know what a mama bear is? You mess with her cubs, you'll find out. You think she's like Lady Diane, just sweet and pretty. Mess with one of Candace Ramsey's children, even Chuck Ramsey. 
mess with one of her children, you better shut up and get out of here. The mama bear comes out here. Are there any papa bears here? How many of you say, let's go, let's go. We know who we are. This church is going to be filled with the next generation serving God with their whole heart. Don't stand if you don't mean it. Don't stand because everybody else stands. How many of you will say, in my world, I'm going with you, Pastor Chuck. We're going to go get the next generation. They belong to the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Come on, if you believe it, lift up a shout this morning. We praise you, Lord. Come on, lift up praises. He is Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, our banner, who fights all of our battles. We praise you, Lord. We praise you. Hallelujah. We praise you, Father. Father, as we stand here as your people, fill us with your spirit. Make us courageous that we will say, yep, the priority is our families. We want your glory where it matters where we need it most. It's not the White House, it's our house. We need it most. And we'll realize it's a battle. We're equipped to win it, but it's a battle. And it will be worth fighting because your heart is that we would live long in the land of promise. May we be parents who stand against the Jebusites and Canaanites and Medianites media nights and parasites others who will suck the spiritual life and the destiny out of our children that will be mama bears and papa bears and say uh uh not no way not today not with my children and we will stake a claim in prayer and that this church will be a place a safe place where the next generation they are raised up in the nurture and the admonition of the in Jesus' name we pray. I pray over every father, every mother, every grandfather, every grandmother, people who are sitting here going, I have more regrets right now than I have hope. I pray in the name of Jesus, we cast out that fear. May the, the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, rise up in them and remind who we are and who you are, Father God. We pray that our children would know you, that our grandchildren would return to you. If you have a prodigal that's away from the Lord right now, just lift up your hand as a sign to the Lord that we're praying. Father, by your grace, by your grace, reach them, arrest them with your love, your unconditional, permanent, eternal love. In the name of Jesus, every child, may they return to what they were raised, what they were trained to be, Christians, biblical Christians living in the real world not separatist but filled with your spirit knowledge of your word unashamed of who you are and who they are in the name of Jesus if y'all believe God's doing something if there's a prophetic word going out would you say amen and just say so be it that's what we're saying I agree let that happen in Jesus name say amen Amen. In Jesus' name, as we leave, Lord, may you bless your people. May your face shine upon them. Give them peace as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Hug two or three people around you this morning.